0: where all of the girls especially, they would play this game called MASH. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say MASH? I don't know what generation that, that really hits, um, but people my age uh, played this game called MASH. I've got a picture of it on the screen for you. It was uh, You take a piece of notebook paper, and, and it basically like, would line out your future. Now, this isn't some kind of voodoo or like fortune telling or anything like that, all right? It was just a fun game. Do teenagers still play this? No? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say MASH? Um, So, okay. MASH, uh, it stands for mansion, apartment, shack, or house. And what would happen is um, girls would get together and they would kind of make a list of of who their top guys were and and maybe what they wanted to do for a living or um, what kind of car they would drive. And they would make a list. And then you make all these little squiggly circle lines and you say, stop. And the person who's helping you, they count those lines. And then it's process of elimination. They would figure out who your husband's going to be, who, what you're going to drive, all those different things, right? And so in sixth grade, um, a girl named Abby Begley uh, was told by the MASH game that she would marry David Rainey, and it was the luckiest day of her life. She'll tell you that if you ask her, right? She'll tell you. It's the luckiest day of her life. And so I told her, I was like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. I think you should be my girlfriend. There's a problem, though, because she was dating a guy named Chris, and uh, and uh, I told her, well, you should break up with Chris, and she did, she broke up with him, and we became boyfriend and girlfriend for one day. And uh, I remember I was working the concession stand at the high school basketball game, and um, it was halftime, the line was a million miles long out the lobby, I was working the concession stand, Abby sends one of her friends through the line um, to come up to the front of the line and tell me in front of everybody, She wants to break up with me. She felt bad about dumping Chris or something. And so that was in sixth grade, we dated for one day. Fast forward to high school, um, our junior year of high school, um, we were kind of interested in each other. And like there was a lot of flirting and even some phone calls and and stuff like that. But we weren't official yet, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, but we knew that we wanted to be. And so I waited until February 15th to ask her out uh, because I didn't wanna buy a Valentine's Day present, right? That's smart, that's a pro tip. Teenagers, like you learned something today. Wait till February 15th. Anyway, so that's what I did. She said yes, we've been together every day since. It's really one of the greatest love stories of all time, right? And I tell you that because today we are talking about one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. In fact, outside of Jesus' death, um, people say that this story that we're talking about today is the greatest display of love in the Bible. We're talking today about uh, this couple. Their name is Hosea and Gomer. Won't you say that with me. Hosea and Gomer, say that. Yeah. I, any, any Gomers here today? Anybody named Gomer? No. That, that's, a bad, that's a bad name. Um, you know, sometimes people say they don't like what, what their parents name them, and uh, I, none of us have one as bad as Gomer, I guarantee it. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Hosea chapter 1. We've been in the series talking about minor prophets, and that just means that these are the books, the prophets that are just smaller than, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's not that they're less important, but they are smaller, so maybe it's harder to find. So use the table of contents or whatever you need to to find it. There's no, no shame in that. As you're turning there, let me kind of set it up for you. Hosea was a prophet or a preacher at the same time that Jonah was. We just talked about Jonah the past two weeks. And, and so he was a prophet in Israel at that time. If you remember, Israel and Judah were split. The north was Israel, the south was Judah, and so Hosea is in the north in, in Israel, and, and life in general was really good at this time in Israel. Very, very prosperous time, uh, very successful time in their history, but it was also an extremely sinful time in their history. Um, a lot of idolatry was, was going on, and this book, the book of Hosea, actually teaches us that idolatry is actually spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God. In fact, that's what this, this book is about. Um, Hosea chapter one, verse two, God charges Israel with adultery, cheating on him. In chapter eight, uh, he says that Israel has sold herself to other lovers, okay? And so, so that's what this whole theme of this book is about. It's an it's a unfaithful, adulterous marriage. In fact, 95% of the book is talking about God um, and, and his broken relationship with Israel. In Exodus chapter 19 and 21, Mount Sinai, there's this whole moment where God makes a covenant promise with Israel to be their God. You will be my people, I will be your God. And it's like this marriage covenant thing that happens. And so he uses this analogy of a marriage between himself and Israel um, and he's saying that it's that's broken. They've cheated on him by worshiping other gods. Their idolatry, they've cheated on him. But nine verses in the book of Hosea, tells us of Hosea's personal story, his relationship with this lady named Gomer. And it's a real relationship, relationship wow, that's a hard word right there, uh, and their marriage. And even though it's, it's graphic and uncomfortable, it teaches us a lot about our relationship with God. And what I want you to see this morning is I want you to see the relentless love that God has for you, and I want you to see that, that his faithfulness outweighs your unfaithfulness okay so before we look at that I want us to pray and I'm going to pray for all of us why don't you just pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time let's pray God I just want to thank you for um, just your word how you've given that to us and how it speaks to us and molds us and changes us and so God I pray now uh, that you would just tenderize our hearts uh, to where we are open and receptive to what it is you have for us today I pray that through this study of Hosea and Gomer that you just reveal your faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness God that you would reveal your love for us your deep and relentless love for us and would you help us to see uh, even, if, even if we may feel like we're just too far gone or, 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 or we've done too much and we screwed it up too much that, that you still love us would you help us to see that would you help us to respond accordingly we love you, So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Hosea chapter one, look at verse two with me. It says, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So, verse three, he went and married Gomer, Daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. All right. So let's pause there. We're going to see their marriage here, but immediately in those first couple of verses, like it's kind of confusing, right? He says, Hey, Hosea, I want you to go and get married to a woman of promiscuity. That's what the CSB says. Maybe your Bible says whoredom. Maybe it says harlotry. If you have a New Living Translation, it says a prostitute. And so that's, that's what this is. Promiscuity is unfaithfulness. She is a prostitute. Not, not that she's just kind of rough around the edges. It's Not that she used to be a prostitute, but isn't anymore. It's not that she kind of has a past, but now she has a really great testimony. No, she is a prostitute currently. How many, how many of you guys are like lining up to take a girl like that home to mom, right? It's, it's not something that you do. And some people say, well, maybe it's not actual prostitution, maybe it's just like imagery, or maybe like she was just kind of, uh, had those kind of tendencies, but she wasn't a prostitute. No, she was currently an active and ongoing prostitute and and we don't need to apologize for that. We don't need to try and water down God's word on that. It is what it is in the Old Testament. uh, Prostitution was actually a symbol of unfaithfulness to God. Ezekiel chapter 16, Ezekiel chapter 23, Jeremiah chapter 2 and chapter 3, both of those paint a picture of God's people and their idolatry, and they relate it to prostitution. And so we we know that that's what she, she was here. And so the command of God is, preacher, go marry a prostitute. And just kind of a side note on this, like in ministry, as a pastor, the pastor's wife is like they can make or break your ministry, right? They can make or break. That's the reason I'm so thankful for Abby, and and I know that all of our, our ministers on staff are thankful for the spouses that we have and the support that they give us, but uh, uh, can you imagine telling a preacher to go marry a prostitute? Like, that? That's, that's a recipe for disaster, really. But Hosea does it, verse three. Hosea went and married Gomer. He married her. He didn't just like... This isn't symbolic of something. No, he actually married her. Do you remember your wedding day? Think about the excitement on that day and, and just everything that that day means, right? And if you're not married, like I know that it's something that especially girls will think of from the time that they're, they're really young, that, that wedding moment. It's an exciting day. It's a, big, it's a big day. And so let's talk about marriage for just a moment. Like marriage is a big deal. Biblically speaking, like, marriage is one man, one woman uniting together in lifelong commitment to one another. That's what it is. It's a commitment. It's a covenant relationship. It's a lifelong promise that you make to each other. And so think of a wedding ceremony. The last one that you went to, think of that. You have several elements of a wedding ceremony. You have witnesses. Right, People who come to be a part of it, they're not just like spectators or watching a show. They are witnesses to this covenant relationship that is being formed, the vows that they are making to one another and to God. Ruth chapter 4 verse 10, Boaz talks about the people coming to watch it and you are witnesses of what's taking place is what he says. And then you have vows, like you have a statement of, of intent that the bride and the groom are making to one another, the vows of I, I will be with you. I will cherish you. I will love you through thick and thin. Like it's a promise that you're making to one another. It's a vow that's happening there. And then there's the ring. And the ring is a, is a symbol of the vows that you just made, right? It's a visible sign of the promise of the covenant agreement that's taking place throughout the Old Testament. I don't really have time to get into it, but in the Old Testament, every time there's a promise, there's always a sign that, that goes with it. So if you think of the rainbow with Noah uh, you think of circumcision with the promise made to Abraham. And then in the New Testament, the new covenant. Um, you got the, the, the drink and the bread, right? The wine and the bread. Those are the signs, the visible symbol of the new covenant that's made. And so in a wedding ceremony, you have all of that. It's a, it's a big deal. Did you know that, that the Bible begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding? Did you know that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding? And in Ephesians chapter five, Paul actually teaches us that our marriages, when healthy, are, are a picture of the gospel. They're a picture of what Christ has done for the church. And he says, Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter five, that men love your wives as Christ loved the church and how he sacrificed and laid down his life for her. So guys, how you love your wife is a picture of the gospel. Ladies, how you love your husband, how you walk alongside of him. It's, a, it's preaching the gospel to a watching world and, I would say, to your kids in your home. No pressure, right? No pressure that we are to love our spouses as Christ loved the church and as the, as the church loves Christ. And so marriage is a, is a big deal. In the, in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 1, again, it's a picture of... Um, Israel turning their back and cheating on God and 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 he says that their marriage relationship he says he says there's no truth there's no honesty there there's no knowledge which that's talking about there's this intimate closeness between a married couple and there's no faithful love and so if we reverse those things we can see that a good strong biblical marriage is built on truth it's built on honesty It's built on intimate knowledge or closeness, and then it's built on faithful love, faithful love. And so Hosea and Gomer on their wedding day, verse three, there's a lot of excitement that's there, I'm sure. They're excited about their future, but remember, Hosea is told to marry a woman that is unfaithful. And though there's excitement on their wedding day, man, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain is in their future. As you keep reading there, we're not going to read it, but we'll kind of summarize it, that Hosea is all faithfulness. Gomer is all unfaithfulness. And their marriage seems to start okay. It says that they have a baby boy together. Verse 3, she conceived and bore him a son. And we're going to see, if you, if you were to keep reading verses 3 through 9, you would see that there's going to be three kids that are born. And each time, God tells Hosea to name them something that is representative of his relationship with Israel, his broken relationship with Israel. He tells them to name the first little boy that's born Jezreel, which means God scatters. God scatters. Now, Jezreel was a real place in Israel. It was a place of a really bloody massacre. You can read about that in 2 Kings. Um, but but there is this moment where there's this bloody sack. Uh, bloody like massacre thing that happens. And then he, it's also the place where God says that's where your military will be defeated. And it is. We saw that in our second Kings study. Assyria comes in and wipes them out at Jezreel. But that word means God scatters. And so in that moment when Assyria comes in, he scatters the people of Israel. It happens. And so we're not told like for these other two kids, we're not told like explicitly, but most scholars believe that the next two children that are born aren't Hosea's. She had them with some other guy. She cheated on him, right? We don't think that they're Hosea's because it doesn't say, like the first child, Jezreel, it doesn't say that she bore him a son. It, it just says, basically, she had another, another baby. She conceived again. And I believe that chapter two, chapter two is, is talking of God and Israel. It's not talking of Hosea and Gomer, but it's talking of children being born out of prostitution, And so I believe that these next two kids that are born aren't, they're not Hosea's. Gomer cheated on him. Like with other guys, she cheated on him. And so again, it's not that she used to be a prostitute, but now she's a good stay-at-home mom. She is currently and actively cheating on him. It's ongoing. And so imagine, like imagine the hurt that Hosea is feeling. I've been mad at Abby for hours after waking up from a bad dream about her cheating. Anybody else? Like you wake up, you're like, how dare you, right? Don't even, don't, even, don't even look at me. What's wrong with you? But he's not in a dream. Like, this is real. She's cheating on him, and you have to imagine the hurt that he is, he's feeling. And you see there, as you keep reading, you see two more kids that are born from her unfaithfulness. There's a daughter. God says, Name the daughter Lo Ruamah, which means no compassion or not loved. Then there's a son that's born. God says, Name that son Lo Ami, which means not my people. And I want you to remember these are real people, real marriage, real kids, but the names are also symbolic of God's relationship with broken Israel. Okay? So keep that in mind. And so, so here they are <laughs> Jose and Gomer, three kids. She's running around on him. And I I think he probably loves these kids. He's taking care of them as his own, but he knows that two of them are from his wife's outside relationships. And every time he looks at them, it's a visible reminder of her unfaithfulness. Every time. And then one morning he wakes up and she's gone. Like she's left no idea where she goes but I I like to imagine that he he checks everywhere you know the morning that he wakes up he can't find his wife and he's checking the house he's checking the bedrooms and the kids bedrooms and the bathroom and the closet but she's gone and maybe maybe she left a note or maybe he finds nothing but whatever the case is he's a single dad now of three kids single dad three kids and he's doing his best man he's fixing dinner He's giving them baths, he's tucking them in at night. He's trying his best just to go about a normal life, but, but you have to imagine that people in town start talking, you know, and rumors start to spread and gossip is, is going around town. People saying things like this preacher can't even keep his wife at home. You know, he talks to us all the time, he tells us, but he can't even control his own, own house. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. And if you think of the way Hosea is feeling in this moment, man, he's broken. He's he's down. But it says that he, he doesn't forget her. He still loves his wife. I want you to look at chapter three, verse one with me. Chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. These are things that they would sacrifice to other gods. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and 5 bushels of barley. And I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. And so we see this unfaithful bride and now we're seeing the faithfulness of the groom. God tells him, go again, go find your wife. And so Hosea goes and he's looking for her. Just think of, think of this scene, like think of how humiliating and how awkward it is for Hosea to have to go out into the streets and look for his wife. And he's having to go places, he's having to go to that part of town He's going places where a preacher doesn't typically go and he starts asking around have have you seen my wife you know have you seen her and guys are like man i'm sorry i saw her a couple nights ago or i saw her a couple streets over they're all kind of theories on on where he ends up finding her some of those is maybe she's living with another man like he, he finds her actually in some other dude's house. There's other theories that, that say that maybe she was at a, at a sex slave auction. She's being sold into slavery. Either way, the point is the same. She's hit rock bottom, but Hosea goes after her and he buys her back. He buys her back. Like look at verse, look at verse two again. He says, so I bought her. And so either he walks into this slave auction and he has to outbid other dudes who are screaming and yelling to buy his wife for all the wrong reasons, or he has to go to another man's house and buy his wife back from him, this guy that she's sleeping with. But the point is he's, he's paid for what is already rightfully his. She's still his wife. And he goes in and he pays, but he gladly pays to get her back. Don't miss how much he loves her don't miss how much he loves her despite her unfaithfulness he is faithful and in verse 3 says that he renews his vows with her like he renews his promise with her verse 3 I said to her you are to live with me many days you must not be promiscuous or belong to any man like come home and and stop running around you got to stop you got to stop running around and I will act the same way toward you. He hasn't been running around, and he's promising faithfulness to his wife who's been unfaithful to him. He's not scolding her, he's not punishing her, he's redeeming her. You be faithful to me, Gomer, and I make the same promise to you, faithfulness. And we're left, as readers of this, just like, what is going on? That's, that's amazing. Like, we're just in awe of that kind of love. What kind of man does that, you know? Like, what kind of man faces years of embarrassment and humiliation and then humbles himself even further to go into the dark places looking for his prostitute wife, finds her, buys her back, and then doesn't punish her? He re-ups his promise with her? Like, what kind of love is that? It's the love of God. It's the love of God. That's the whole point of this awkward, uncomfortable story is to show unfaithful people the depths of the love of our faithful God. That's the point. And we see here, we see God's faithfulness to unfaithful people. See, after Hosea goes and he buys her back, he renews his covenant with her, then he stands up and he says in verse verse 4, look at this, it says, it says this whole thing shows that Israel will go a long time without a a king or prince, and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. That's talking of Jesus. Through the Davidic covenant, the promise made with David that through your line, David said, "There's always going to be a king on the throne until ultimately one sits on the throne forever." Talking of Jesus, he's he's saying here they're going to turn to the Lord their God and to Jesus. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of His goodness. Who is the people? The people will return. They'll devote themselves. Paul tells us in Romans chapter nine that that's talking of us the church. In fact, he quotes the book of Hosea in Romans chapter, chapter 9. And so Hosea stands after buying his adulterous wife back, and he says, there will be a day when the true groom will come and set all things and all people free, and it says that we, the church, will be in awe of his goodness, and that's the point of this story. That's the point. That we would be in awe of his goodness. See, if you if you read this story and you find yourself identifying with Hosea, well you're reading it wrong. Who is Hosea? Well, it's Jesus. Who is who is Gomer? It's me. It's you. See, even his name, Hosea means salvation and through this story man we we see clearly the gospel message that through Christ the faithful groom unfaithful people like you and me are saved that Jesus came on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen to buy back what was already his do you know that psalm 24 1 says says that all of this is already his psalm 24 1 the earth and everything in it The world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. John 1, three, talking about Jesus, all things were created through him, Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. See, all of this was already his, but he came on a rescue mission to save it and buy it back anyway. And he had to do that because sin had entered the world. That we are unfaithful, adulterous people caught up in our sin. And Romans 6:23 says that our, our sin demands a payment. It says that the payment for our sin is death, and Jesus willingly offered himself as that payment. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. 1 John 4:10 says that this is real love. Not not that we loved him, but that he loved us, that he loved us, and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How many people today think that they are just too far gone for God to love them? How many people today do you hear say things like, you, you don't know what I've done? And I would say, you're right, I don't, but I know what he's done. And 1 John 4, 10 says that that's what real love is. It's not that we ever loved him, but it's that he loved us, that he sent his son, that he died for us to take away our sins see his death on the cross was the payment and his resurrection was the receipt that states paid in full and now we are offered the new covenant promise renewed vows turn from your sin commit to him and he promises to be faithful to you forever first john 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful It's not about our faithfulness. He is faithful to cleanse us and save us from all unrighteousness. See, we are saved only because of His faithfulness. And when we turn to Him, God promises full restoration. You remember the kids' names? The kids' names were God scatters, not loved, and not my people. But the theme of this book is there's accusation and then there's restoration. And what God promises to do is he says there's a day coming when those things will be reversed and restored. There's a day coming when God scatters, when not my loved one, not my people will all be reversed. In Hosea chapter two, verse 23, God basically says, I will personally plant you in the land. You're not gonna be scattered anymore. I'm gonna gather you and plant you in the land myself. I will have compassion on you. And I will say to them, you are my people. You are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, that's the offer to you. Like that's the offer to you today. Trust in his faithfulness, not yours. Trust what he's done. And if you do, he promises he'll restore you he'll have compassion on you, and he'll call you his own. And that's the message of Hosea. Unfaithful people saved by the faithful groom. So what do we do with this, right? In a room full of people who are Christ's followers and come to church on rainy Sundays and all those kind of things, what do we do with this? Well, maybe, Christian, maybe you've wondered from God Maybe you've been unfaithful to him. Maybe you find yourself in a place this morning that you never thought you'd be, doing things you never thought you would do. And maybe you're pretty good at covering it up. Maybe you're pretty good at hiding it from everyone else. I want you to hear three things this morning. That he's never stopped loving you. No matter how far you wander, no matter how many times you wander, he's never stopped loving you. His faithfulness far outweighs your unfaithfulness. And number three, he wants you home. Not to scold you or punish you, but to wrap his arms around you and welcome you home. And so Christian, what I would say is repent. Come back to him. Turn around and do what Hosea says in verse four and five. Tremble in awe of his goodness. Tremble in awe of the love that he has for you and then trust in his faithfulness. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.